0: Let's turn now in our Bibles to Galatians, the fourth chapter, Galatians chapter 4, and we will read verses 21 through 31, Galatians 4:21 and following. Let's briefly pray before reading. Our gracious God and Father, we have just sung of the full atonement of the Savior and the wonder of free and sovereign grace. And we pray that these grand old truths would determine our thinking and living, that we would be humble in your presence and acknowledge that it is all of grace from first to last and that every time Christ is preached from this pulpit, which should be every time the word is proclaimed, we would know and remember once again that it does not depend upon anything we do or it never could but completely depends upon Christ and what he has done for us. Hear us and be with us in this brief Sunday evening exposition of your word, that it may be powerful to our souls. In Christ's name, amen. Galatians 4, beginning with verse 21. This is the word of God. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you brothers like Isaac are children of promise. But just as that at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. The Apostle Paul has been addressing in the book of Galatians the Judaizers, that is to say Christians who are influenced by the Judaizers, who have been teaching that yes, we're saved by grace, but grace plus Plus circumcision, plus obedience to the Mosaic law. The Apostle Paul now comes at the end of his, his argument from the Abrahamic narrative against the Judaizers, and this is the apex of his biblical and theological argument that would absolutely outrage his opponents. Using the law, going back to Torah, he shows the fundamental contrast between law and gospel, between works and grace. And Paul has insisted upon this all along. That's been the theme of the epistle. For example, in chapter 3, verse 10, when the apostle said, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Curse be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. And then he goes on in verse 13 to tell us that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. There could be again no more stark contrast between law and grace than is found there. Or, for example, in verse 21 of chapter 2, where the apostle says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if justification were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. There he tells us again in no uncertain terms that justification is completely dependent upon the work of Christ who died for sinners like you and me. And as G.C. Burkauer somewhere says, that if this were not the case, Christ would have thrown himself away. And so there can be no two things more different than law and grace in this great matter of how we are accepted by God. We are justified by grace alone, through faith alone, through the work of Christ alone. So I want to show us several things from this text tonight. First, law and grace contrasted. Law and grace contrast it. He does this, first of all, by showing to us that there are two sons. Now, he tells us in this passage that this is an allegory, and I just briefly want to mention that when you read this word allegory here in this passage, that he, he wouldn't have us to think of allegory in the way in which we typically think of allegory, where we think of John Bunyan or we think of Dante. But he means something more like they are types They are types and shadows of that which was to come. And so he draws this contrast between the two sons, Isaac and Ishmael, verses 22 and 23. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and one by the free woman, but the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. These two sons, Isaac and Ishmael, represent contrasting principles, the principles of law the principles of grace, flesh and spirit, works and grace. Ishmael represents human attainment. Uh, Abraham, uh, Sarah, through their own connivance, tempted to provide for the heir when God had said that heir must come through my promise, in Isaac shall your seed be called. Ishmael, therefore, represents the attempt of human attainment that is a failed attempt every time. Isaac represents the promise of God. In Isaac shall your seed be called. God promised that he would bring the heir to Abraham, that he would provide it according to the promise of his word and the promise of his grace. Ishmael had no inheritance. Isaac inherits through the promise. Ishmael had his hands full, so to speak. Isaac has empty hands. He has nothing. Paul's point is simply this. You're being taught by the Judaizers... That justification is by grace plus, which means it's not by grace at all. Renounce the flesh. Renounce self-attainment. Renounce self-righteousness. Renounce every attempt to be accepted by God, by what you do. And so when that person says, I am lost with all of my good works, the text calls us to see that indeed we are lost with all of our good works. Empty your hands of those good works. Indeed, you have no good works to offer or even the works that are performed by the unbeliever outside of Jesus Christ that we might horizontally call good are not good. They are only good if you are in Christ, in union with Him and through His righteousness. And even when the believer does those things that are rightly called good works, they contribute nothing to our acceptance to God, nothing to our justification in His presence, nothing to the righteousness that we are to receive by faith. And so if you trust anything but free grace, you will be lost. If you add even one stitch of your own righteousness to the righteousness of Christ, to his robe that is placed upon the believer received by faith alone, to his imputed righteousness, then you are lost. There are two sons, Isaac and Ishmael, representing contrasting principles of how acceptance with God is obtained. Not only that... He says there are two covenants, for he goes on in verse 24 to say, now this may be interpreted allegorically, these women are two covenants. Hagar and Ishmael represent Sinai. They represent the covenant of works. They represent a conditional covenant that says do and live, perform and you will be right with God. Do and then you will be accepted with God. And so the covenant of works and the law comes to the center and it says, here is my law, keep it perfectly or be doomed forever. I will not lower my standard, I cannot lower the standard of justice. You obey my law and if you do not obey my law to perfection, then you are lost and you are doomed and you are damned forever. That's Hagar and Ishmael representing Sinai. Sarah and Isaac represent grace. And grace it is, my friends, For long ere Sinai smoked and quaked, God in covenant determined that He would save us from our sins, making a covenant of grace, the Father with the Son and the Holy Spirit and with God's elect in Him. It is an unconditional covenant because it is based upon God's own decree and determination. It is an unconditional covenant because it is based solely on the promise of God. And in that covenant, all that is required is given. Is absolute and perfect obedience required? Then it is given in Jesus Christ to obey the law that we have broken. Is there the requirement that if the law is broken, the penalty must be paid? And that penalty is that the wrath of God, the everlasting, eternal wrath of God be poured out upon us? Then that condition is met by Jesus Christ himself who went to a cross and the wrath of God was poured out him on him as he is the propitiation for our sins. This covenant of grace uses law, of course. It uses law as a shepherd might use a sheepdog. When I was a boy, there was a dog up the street. Dogs and I have never gotten on together for some reason. The name of this dog was Boy, but he was no boy. (laughs) He was a dog. And every time I walked by the fence, Boy barked at me and seemed to scream out lustily, I want your blood. (laughs) One day boy got out of the fence as I walked by and I didn't know it and I still remember the terror of boy nipping at my heels all the way home. I don't know how I made it. Well, the gospel minister will use law like that. The gospel uses law like that to show us nipping at our heels that we must be driven out of the law and to grace. And so the soul must trust wholly to the covenant of grace, or be lost forever. That is to say, trust wholly to Christ, who is the mediator of the covenant, or be lost forever. Trust wholly to the promise of God, or be lost forever. That which is oriented toward human strength strength can produce only the mentality of a slave. And so we have these two sons, and we have these two covenants, but also we have two cities. In verses 24 through 26, read it with me again. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. Again, I've said to you that means something like typologically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. For it is written, and then he goes on with a quotation, from Isaiah, two cities. And so the Apostle Paul draws a line from Hagar to Sinai to the present-day Jerusalem when Paul the Apostle was writing. Why does he draw the line to the present-day Jerusalem? Undoubtedly because Jerusalem was the source of the false teaching of the Judaizers. This is from whence it came. Believers, however, belong to a different city. Our mother is not the now Jerusalem, but it is the Jerusalem which is above the mother of us all. Why is that our city? Why is our citizenship there? Because Christ is there and we are in union with him. Because our redeemer is there who shed his blood for us. Because there he intercedes for his people. Because God's people gather there. Yes, when they die, but also, also in our worship together, as we saw from Hebrews 12 just mentioning this morning. And because Jerusalem above is free, if your citizenship is there, you are born for freedom, not born under law. And so the summary of the contrast so far is this. There are two opposing approaches to salvation. The one is self-attainment, constantly driving you to do and to perform and to work and to produce. And it always fails, every time it fails. The other then, not self-attainment, but grace and freedom, gospel, Christ, what he has done for sinners like us. And so as one of the old divine says, sincere obedience is sincere delusion. If you think that because of the sincerity of your obedience you will be accepted with God, then you fail to understand that sincere obedience is sincere delusion. You are deluded. You cannot do anything that will make you acceptable, declare you righteous. In the sight of God, that must come through Christ and Christ alone. And so the gospel means the righteousness we receive by faith provided by God in Christ pointed to in Isaac's birth, which points to the promise, which promise points to Christ who went to a cross and shed his blood, paid the curse so that we might might not pay it, and rose from the dead. Paul points to the reversal of that to which every human heart clings, For every human heart clings to justification by works that we perform. So you see what the Apostle does and why this would enrage his opponents. Because he is saying to these Gentile believers, tempted to follow the Judaizers, and yet still believers in the gospel, he says, You Gentile believers who trust in Christ, you Gentiles are the true sons of Abraham. You false teachers who are Jews, are really the sons of Ishmael. Now that would stir them up, wouldn't it? Believe the gospel and you are free. Follow works righteousness and you are in bondage. Believe the gospel and you are Abraham's son or daughter. Do not believe the gospel and you are children of Ishmael. Now that's the first thing to see, the contrast. The contrast of these two sons, these two covenants, these two cities pointing to the contrast between law and grace. Absolute antithesis. You cannot mix law and grace any more than you can mix oil or water or fire and water. It just will not mix. The second thing I want to show you from the text is that grace comes to the barren. Grace comes to the barren. And had we time, we would look in more depth at this, but let's simply mention verse 27, for it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, You who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. This quotation from Isaiah 54.1. The Apostle Paul brings it to bear on this whole issue of Sarah and her barrenness and how God overcame her barrenness by His own word of sovereignty. And basically, is saying to the people, You are being wrongly taught that you are fruitful when you attend to clean yourself up by works, or attempt through circumcision, or through obedience to certain ceremonies, or to certain days, that these things might make you acceptable in the presence of God. You're being wrongly taught that you are fruitful when you attempt to clean up by works. Look to Sarah. Look at her. How could she bear children? Now, you remember Sarah in the Old Testament, don't you? Sarah had nothing to offer. <clears throat> she, <clears throat> she was Abraham's wife, and through her was to come the child of promise, but she had nothing to offer, nothing whatsoever. She was barren. She could not bear children. She was a century old, after all. She was long past the time of bearing She had no strength to fulfill the promise on her own because the promise is never fulfilled in one's own strength. God alone, in the powerful grace of His Word, made Sarah fruitful. What then is the way to fruitfulness, asks Paul the Apostle. Well, his answer is, the way to fruitfulness is giving up every attempt to make yourself fruitful, giving up every attempt at your own self-righteousness by faith to depend upon the righteousness of Christ alone, by admitting that you are barren, that you are empty, finding your fruitfulness only in Christ. And so he brings to bear this wonderful passage from Isaiah. And he wants us to know that you need a view of the law that will slay you dead to the law so that you no longer attempt to find your righteousness there, but only in the perfect record of Jesus Christ our Lord. The third thing I want you to see in the text is that we are to guard the grace that frees. Now, grace guards us. Grace saves us. Grace justifies us. Grace frees us, yes. But here I mean the truth of grace we are as a church to guard. We are to guard against threats to grace. And freedom, uh, threats to freedom must always be resisted. Ishmael was a constant threat. Now you see it here in verses 28 and following. Just look for that. Now you brothers like Isaac are children of promise, but just as that, at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Do you see what Paul the Apostle then is saying? He is saying, first of all, be warned. Defend against the slave principle. Defend against these views that will bring into bondage sinners rather than free sinners. Defend against this principle of law that says to the sinner, do and live, obey and and be justified. You must guard against that, Church of Jesus Christ. Some of you wonder why I am so vociferous in my opposition to the so called new perspective on Paul or the so called federal vision. It's because this is the fundamental error of those teachings. There you have a conditional covenant, you have a conditional salvation, you have a conditional perseverance all because it is based upon a conditional view of the covenant. Now be warned, defend against the slave principle, people of God. But also be watchful, as I think is indicated in verse 29 when he says, but just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so it is now. So be watchful. The Spirit turns the eye to the cross of Jesus Christ, and you must be watchful against the Spirit that would bring us again into bondage. Be warned, be watchful, but also be normal. Normal Christian living is that which draws on the now character of the promise of God that is given to us through the Spirit, which leads us, of course, to life in the Spirit as we will find it in the fifth chapter of this book of Galatians. Well, let me bring to a conclusion my concerns from this text. In this matter of acceptance with God, law and grace cannot be mixed. Law says do. Gospel says done. Law says work. The gospel says Christ has done the work. The law is command. The gospel is promise. The law condemns. The gospel justifies. The law convinces of sin and misery. The gospel frees from sin and misery. The law says, boast in your own works. The gospel says, where is boasting? As we read in the third chapter of the book of Romans, verse 27, then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No. But by the law of faith. In the cross of Christ I glory. And so the Apostle Paul says in verse 14 of chapter 6, be far it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. There is no boasting except in Christ and his cross. My friends, we are all born legalists. We are all born Arminians, every one of us. We are all born Pharisees. We are all born thinking we contribute to our own salvation or that we earn our own salvation or that it's through our own free will that somehow we are saved. Away with all of that. That's not the gospel. The gospel is not what you do. It is what Christ has done for you. And so a summary verse would be Romans eleven six. And if by grace, then it is no more works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works then it is no more grace, otherwise work is no more work. And the greatest need of our day, the greatest need of our age, is the recovery of the gospel. For today, once again in pulpits, we are hearing that the gospel is what we do, but it is not. It is what Christ has done for us. We once again need ministers who will put down the glory of man and put up the glory of God in all things, and especially in the salvation of sinners. Because there are three things that are necessary for the proclamation of the gospel. You need to put forward God's glory, God's free grace, and God's one person and work in Jesus Christ. And so the theme of this text is, Nothing, 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 nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling." Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. Our salvation is all of grace from first to last. That's the theme of this text in summary. May the Lord bless it to our hearts. Amen.